of worship. If you're not afraid to clap, you're welcome to. If this is too much for you, that's okay too.
try to give it up for Jesus. This is an incredible time to worship. And we're going to take some time to pray. But what I want to do is just read you a verse real quick. Isaiah 25, 1 says this. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things. Things planned long ago. And I was kind of praying through this morning, like, just this this moment, this opportunity right here, as we kind of get centered in in what God is doing, realize it's so interesting because in any other context, context, in any other place, any other place you'd find yourself in in these moments, your job is to just be entertained. We do our job, we're supposed to entertain you, and you do your job, which is listen to us and tap a foot and look and watch. But the reality is, is this isn't a come and watch kind of a thing. This is a come and experience kind of a thing. And the reality is, is we each have something. I'm not, the question I guess I have for you is, do you have something to praise God for in your life? Do you have anything in your life where you've seen God's faithfulness so clear that you can't help but worship him, praise him. The perfect faithfulness, Isaiah says. Perfect faithfulness. Have you experienced faithfulness in your story? You see, this is, we can sing all we want, but the thing about worship is, uh, through singing from the stage is, it's almost in our cultures, if we've made it something that like, you have to be gifted in this area, and it, it's about like your singing ability, your, your musical talent, is how much you contribute or how much you kind of like sing along or join in. We miss the whole point. This has nothing to do with entertainment or listening or enjoyment. This is about a heart cry that says, God, you are so worthy. I can't help but sing praise of your goodness and your faithfulness in my life. I can't help it. Pretty or ugly, loud or quiet, no matter what, no matter what your style is, we worship because he's been faithful to each of us. I can't sing on your behalf. Because I can't, I don't know how God has been faithful in your story. Only you do. So I'm going to worship from my place. But can I encourage you? Worship from yours this morning. Because I serve a God who is worthy of our praise. And we're going to keep worshiping. But in my story, he's been good. So I'm going to sing from that place today. Whether you find yourself a great vocalist or a great musician, can I encourage you, if you have anything to be grateful for this morning, express that to him. He's worthy. He's worthy. Father, as we go into a continued time of just singing, I pray, Father, that we would center in on you right now, that we would lock in on you, that our hearts and our minds would be focused in that we wouldn't just trail off and kind of go into wherever our, our heads want to be, but just, God, that this would be a time centered on thinking about the ways that you have been so faithful and come through in each of our lives, in each of our stories. The things we're believing for, whether we are, it is easy for us today or whether we're struggling today because things don't seem great. We worship you, Father. We, we ask you to lead us through. Have your way here. We invite you, Jesus, to just come. Let us encounter you today in a fresh way. 
In your name we pray. Amen.
awesome job. Please give it up for our worship team this morning. You may be seated. My name is Ptolemy Matthews, and it is a privilege to speak with you this morning. And um, as Tyler was saying earlier, how good God's faithfulness and his goodness to us is, instead of a, a regular giving message this morning, I want to share with you a, a, a blessing, a tremendous life-changing blessing that God has done in the life of, of my wife and myself. Is that okay? All right. And so it just really illustrates God's goodness and his love. And I think some of you guys know about it. I just want to give you a little bit of the background that went into the story. And more than anything, the absolute perfect timing of God. So my wife and I, Nasa, we've been married for a little bit over 13 and a half years. And um, so during that time, a few times we've discussed, ideally, how many kids would we like to have? And so both of us come from large families. So we're like, not too many not too few so four seems like a perfect number so a couple of guys couple of girls call it a wrap and so that's what we agreed on and so the lord blessed us with a beautiful six-year-old daughter and we have a rambunctious lively three-year-old son so we're happy with them but we wanted a couple more and so here's the problem we're not spring chickens anymore. I'll be 40 a little bit later this year. Nasa's a little bit younger than me, but she comes up to me and she's like, babe, I know that we discussed having four kids, but to be honest with you, I'm not sure that I really want to do the whole process two more times. So how about one more and we call it a wrap? I was like, well, you're doing all the heavy lifting here. So uh, I guess, but can we ask God for twins? She's like, bet. I'm like, bet. So. We start asking God for twins. And so my daughter, she's praying for a baby sister. And my son, he's praying every night, God, please give me a baby brother and he can play with my toys. And so we're praying for twins. Now here's the thing about me, and I think I've shared this before. I'm one of those kind of people that is naturally uh, skeptical, I guess. It's, it's kind of hard for me to just believe and have faith and trust like some people like my wife. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Not me. Um, I question sometimes. And even when I think maybe God did answer a prayer, kind of, sort of, I'm still questioning. Yeah, but how do we really know that that was God? And how do we know that it wasn't just going to happen anyway? Right? And so that's that's been me. Don't hate me. It is what it is. But so here's the deal. Last year, 2019, was a very rough year for us. Um, things just didn't go the way that I felt that they should. We're praying and we're seeking God for some different things, and it just seems like he's not answering in the way or in the timing that I think that he should. And so I was frustrated and discouraged, and at the end of the year, in the month of October, things really came to a head, and I was really just, ah, God, where are you? And so he sent somebody when I was totally not expecting it and just showed me his goodness. Um, I'm a teacher. And so there was a math expert who came from the state of Indiana to do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. So we get the math done and then we start talking. I don't even know how it came up. We start talking about God. So this woman says, I have an advanced degree in chaos theory and my thesis was on intelligent design. And so I start opening up to her about where I am and I'm questioning, I'm like, God, where are you? And she said, Ptolemy, this is what I firmly believe. 
that God is faithful. And if you look at the entire universe, there is divine order in every single thing that happens. And if if you will just be in the timing and just wait on God, he will show himself strong on your behalf. He will answer some prayers and he will be real to you. And it was just what I needed from a person that I could respect and and that spoke my language. And so it gave me the courage to, to keep on going and to not give up. Less than a month later from that time, we find out that we're expecting for the third time. So we're like, all right, here we go. So last month, January 17th, we go in for our first ultrasound. And so we're excited. We're over the moon. We're going to see our baby. Uh, For the first time, we're going to hear the heartbeat. But just before the doctor's about to get started, jokingly-ish, I say to him, all right, doctor, make it twins. And he looks at me and he chuckles. He's like, yeah, right. So he starts looking and he's like, it is twins. I'm like, get out of here. Yeah, right. No, he's not. I'm not joking. Here's baby one. Here's baby two. I freaked out. I lost my mind. I'm like, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Because then it hits me. God just answered a huge prayer and not just any kind of prayer. See the skeptical guy, right? I could not have done this. There was nothing that I could have done to manipulate this. I couldn't, it wasn't just going to happen. God showed up and showed me something and he showed me his goodness. But more than that, more than that, just a couple of months before when I was ready to just give up and like, I don't know, he sends me somebody to keep going and gave me just what I needed right at the right time because it was October 29th that we saw that I met that woman. Two weeks later, we're pregnant with twins. And so I just want to say to you, it's not a giving message, but I just want to highlight the goodness and the love and the mercy of God. And I know that I'm probably not the only person in here who questions sometimes or who might be skeptical or who is going through a challenging moment and wondering where God is. Galatians 6 and 9 says this, and do not be weary in well-doing. Don't lose heart, for in due season, when the time is right, we shall reap if we don't faint, if we don't give up. And so this morning, I hope this is an encouragement to you. God is amazing. His timing is perfect. And I just wanted to bless you with that story. As the ushers come forward this morning, here are some ways that you can give cash or checks online at abjourney.com, mobile text JC to 45888, and a new way is through Zelle. Let's pray for the offering this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, for your mercy, for your faithfulness, for your love, and for your incredible timing. You've got us, and we can sit back and we can relax with peace knowing that you know what's working together for our good. And so we surrender our lives to you. Encourage our hearts this morning, dear God, we pray in the name of Jesus. And as we take this offering, dear Father, help us to use it in your service to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And now joining me on stage is the love of my life, my beautiful wife. For announcements, um, fifth and sixth graders, you are dismissed at this time. You can head on to the back of the um, sanctuary, and your teacher will be waiting for you there. For announcements, 
Um, on the 26th of this month, Grace Resource Center, we will be um, sending a team out there to deliver some hot meals to those who may not otherwise have any. If that's something that you would be interested in helping out with, um, you're more than welcome to volunteer and head out to the hotspot after service um, to sign up or to get more information concerning it. Yes, good morning, Journey. I am ex super excited to announce that we have a new um, mother center, who mothers with infants or nursing mothers, right across from the nursery, there's a room there um, where you can go and feed your uh, little one, have, have a bit of privacy, uh, and don't worry, there's live streaming in that room, so you will not miss any of the service, which is really cool, seeing that I'll probably be using that room very soon. Um, and then I'm also excited to announce, um, coming soon to Journey is a new family cry room. It's gonna be out those doors, and uh, there will also be live streaming, so when you take your fussy, noisy little one out there, you can still enjoy the service and not miss uh, much of what's going on. So, good things coming. All right, for, a, for an organization this size, uh, we definitely need a lot of help um, from ushering or helping with the kids or singing on stage, uh, collecting the offering, things like that. So if you're not already serving some way and you're, you call Journey Home and you would like to help out, as they say, many hands make light work. So if you like more information about how you can help out and become part of the team here at Journey Church, um, feel free after the service to head on out to the hotspot where you can get more information concerning how you can help. Awesome. And if you are joining us for your first time this Sunday, this is your first time visiting Journey, welcome. Thank you for joining us. We'd like to also say thank you and welcome by giving you a special treat over at the hotspot. And also there you can sign up for the monthly newsletter here at Journey so you can find out the happenings and the events that are coming soon. Again, welcome. That's it for the announcements except for one more. Somebody celebrating a birthday tomorrow, so if you happen to see her. Just thought I'd throw that out there. All right, please stand up, greet someone, and give them a hug. There we go. Good morning, everybody. You can grab a seat. I'm Dave, one of the pastors. I want to welcome everybody here, everybody here, and all the friends who are watching online today of this holiday weekend. We're excited. Anybody have a special, like, uh, Valentine this weekend? Anybody get to celebrate Valentine's Day? Special time. That's awesome. We are excited about this series we're headed into. This is a series we're calling XO. Because it's all about loving relationships and how to move your relational life in a really positive direction. I love this series when we get to talk about this. I'm always excited about it when it comes to this because honestly, this is one of the favorite parts of my life, the relationships of my life. Literally, 
bring me the greatest joy of all the things that I get to experience in life. And what I've learned is our relational fulfillment largely determines our personal fulfillment. Thus, the quality of our relationships determines, profoundly affects the quality of our lives. In other words, however your relationships go, so goes your happiness in a large degree. Your sense of good in the world, your sense of happiness and anticipation, your sense of the world and the, the relationships I have, I mean, life is good, connects so deeply to your relational world is you really don't even recognize it until you have one that goes really bad and you realize that everything seems to sync with the quality of your relationships. <clears throat> so that's why we're going to go into this. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at various parts of the relationship world, parts of the ways that we connect as humans. Um, we're going to be talking about singleness. What does the Bible say? What did Jesus have to say about it? Jesus was single. So what did he have to say? What were the things that scripture would lead us to know to really live life well at that stage or if that's your cho choice in that part? We're talking about marriage. So we're going to talk about relationships between you know, husband and wife. We're going to be talking about sexuality and what does God say about our sexuality? What does the scriptures teach? Um, we realize that in culture, there's, you know, there's all these different views and perspectives, and we would just want to say, God, what, it, what are your feelings, and, and what do you want us to know about your, your creation of us? And so we're going to look at sexuality and the gender challenges and questions that are going, and just we really want to take an honest look. And again, removing a lot of the emotion and all of you know, the bickering and back and forth, we just want to say, okay, Jesus, what is an apprentice to you, to the life to the fullest? What is it? What does it look like for us to take on your values and your views of your creation? So let's look at that. So that's where we're going for the next couple of weeks. And let me just say that starting out today, we're going to be hitting like some really practical stuff. And this is kind of a broad sweeping introduction so that we can talk about everything relational and one way or another that it's going to, we're going to give you a way to step your relationships up, no matter whether it's a romantic relationship, you're in love with somebody, you're married to somebody, whether it's a family relationship, you're forced to live with these people, whether it's a work environment that is like, man, I just, I want to know how to move that relationship world there because I have to relate to people there. Um, I, I want to, we just want to look at all of these, how we can take a huge step in a positive direction in a relational world. And here's what I've discovered about relationships. The only thing you can really, really change in a relationship is you. You really can't change the other person. You can make them really angry. You can really hate, make them hate you, I guess, but you can change some things. But here's the thing you bring the greatest capacity for changing a relationship is by looking at you, not focusing on the other person. If you start there, you're going to be miserably disappointed and they're going to be miserably sick of you. Changing somebody else doesn't usually work. So let me just say this. What you can bring the quality of the person you are largely determines the quality of the relationship you have. The choices you make, the character of the decisions, the quality of your decisions in a relational environment determines the quality of the relationships you experience. So let's take this and, and hopefully you'll be able to just take some notes, something will hit you today, you'll jot it down. Oftentimes when I'm listening to a, a message or a sermon or a talk, um, 
God will prompt me in ways, and sometimes it's not even what the person says, says directly, but it's something that's like, oh, man, that made me think of this, or this is something I feel God's telling me. So feel free to write those down. And again, whether you are brand new to church and this you know, Jesus discovery thing, or whether you've been in this a lifetime, this is powerful stuff, <clears throat> and it can literally change your life. So to begin with, um, here's the thing with challenge, the challenge with relationships is a lot of us, a lot of us didn't have the greatest mentors when it comes to having great relationships. Um, the people that we grew up with or around or the people who parented us or brought us into the world or those who were stewarding us while we were younger and formed our ideas about what relationships look like. Some of them, let's be honest, they weren't the healthiest. Even the good ones, I'm not saying they're evil people, even those who meant well, let's be honest, what were the greatest challenges? Number one is they're trying to make a living in a world that is extremely difficult when it's like everything combating us, trying to just pull us in every direction. They're, they're not only that, but they're trying to fulfill their own dreams and their own wishes, and they came into the world with their own hopes and desires. They're trying to fulfill those, and, and so it, it's not that they intended probably to neglect these teachings or to show you or steward this well. It's, it's maybe that maybe just their humanity was just greater than their capacity to to lead in this and and you didn't get good examples so we want to take some examples from scripture and here's what i've discovered <clears throat> we all have blind spots we all have areas of our life that we can't see we we all <clears throat> need a mirror now for me in the morning when when i get ready um lori has to report to work earlier than i but I happen to be just an early waker, and so it doesn't matter what time I go to bed, it seems. You know, the sun comes up, I come up, it's kind of like, woo, you know, I'm awake. There, there's, so we get ready oftentimes at a similar time. Usually she starts off, you know, 30 minutes before me, and because really what does a guy have to do? You know, shh, you know, good to go. You know, put it on, rub it here, rub it there. We're, it's simple, right? It's not a whole lot to it. But here's the thing. When I get ready and Lori's getting ready, my side of the vanity, we have this vanity, this uh, bathroom that has a dual vanity. So we have, she has her area that she can mess up and I have mine that I can keep really pretty or vice versa, <clears throat> whatever that looks like in your house. But we have this mirror that stretches all the way across and we each have these three lights that hang over our sink. Well, on my side, the light bulbs are out of two of my three lights. Not only that, but behind, and that's all Lori's fault just kidding it has nothing to do with any either of us but i haven't fixed them so I'll, it's not really that bright and behind me you know when you look in the mirror you know my hair is dark and the back wall is the shower wall and it's dark tile so i i literally don't i see the lighter parts of me but i don't see the hair and when you're getting ready hair is a pretty important thing as a matter of fact that's probably the most important thing on a guy you know that's what we fix and so as i'm looking at it i'm like oh man i just so now what I've learned is that Lori's side of the bathroom has a white door or a white shower curtain behind it and three lights. So I tend to be merging this direction as we're getting ready and I'm learning that it's, I also have one of those things, do you, you have like bad hair days? Okay, mine, mine's a permanent, like it's pushed up here and back this way. Okay, so I have these hair challenges. I got this little hump that wants to happen right here in the back of my hair, and so I have to do just the right thing to make it not look really goofy. So I need help. I have blind spots. 
So I have to get over to Lori's side, and she has one of those fold-out mirrors that you can look this way and this way, and you know, you can see yourself. I'm telling you, I need all the help I can get. I don't know about you, but in life, we have blind spots. I have a partner, I have, I have my best friend, I have my wife, who is really helpful at helping me see. So I'm like, okay, after it's all done, I'm like, so how does it look? And she always is trying to help me fits, you know, fuss with it and fix it. And I, I love that I have somebody in my life that's helping me adjust to the blind spots. And all of us need that. It's part of what the family of God is about. That's what we are here for, is to help each other grow through those things that we may not see in ourselves that need to be changed or to work through. But this is one of the things that it doesn't matter who you have in your life. The, the scriptures, the account of life from the, the Bible is a mirror. This is what Paul said to young Timothy. He said, all scripture is inspired by God. The words inspired literally means God breathed it. It's literally the breath of God. The scriptures are the breath of God, the, the, the words of God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Does that sound like a mirror? I mean, it gives us the full 360. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So the Bible is powerful. I mean, it even says later that it's like a two-edged sword. It literally cuts down right into the deepest part of the bone and marrow. That's like, it literally gets down in deep where where life is happening, where life is produced, the blood is produced in the bone. It's like the scripture just gets down to where life is produced in you. And it helps you to discern which way to go. So this is our foundation. We're going to use this as we go. Here's another thing that I've learned. <clears throat> life is so easy to get out of tune. My son, Jaden, plays the guitar. Um, he's one of our worship leaders. Um, so he, he gets, he's this little thing, it's a little disc looking thing and it's clipped onto the end of his guitar. And so just about every time he comes home in the afternoon, he likes to play his guitar and sing. Well, he'll turn something on, he'll bing, 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 bing. And he'll look at that because it's telling us probably in the room, have a life that's slightly out of tune. We're not getting the beauty out of the life that God intended. We've got to find a way to tune ourselves to the right ways to the right tune, to the right key in order to get that and to get the right pitch. My phone has a GPS. Sometimes I don't know which direction to go. Everybody needs a GPS. Everybody needs to know where am I and how do I get from here to happiness? How do I get from here to godliness? How do I get from here to the life Jesus said is the fullest of lives? How do I do that? And that's why we're going to be talking about this from some of the great teachings of a man named Paul. <clears throat> he was an apostle. He was, he was a guy that Jesus literally had to confront one time to turn him from a life that was completely headed in the wrong direction. He had an encounter with Jesus, turned him around, and then he writes, ends up writing the majority of the New Testament. So that's where we're going with this. <clears throat> and so what we've, what we've got here today is I'm, I'm going to start in this passage. I, I think that this is Philippians chapter 2 is one of the great relationship passages in Scripture. When I was in um, co college, this is what I did my, my kind of my thesis on, um, this passage that just re really, really changed my perspective as I studied what does it look like to follow Jesus. So here we go. Um, let's take these complex thoughts and let's try to boil them down into practical ways of walking them. He, he said, do nothing. And in the Greek, the word for do nothing means do no thing. All right, so do nothing. 
out of or motivated by selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, if, if we just practice this part right here, you'd be a winner. Honestly. Because here's what my goal is for you. My goal is for you to be the person that everybody else comes to. For relational advice. Everybody looks at it and says, how'd you get that marriage? What are you doing with your kids? How is it that everybody in the office seems to gravitate towards you? What are you doing? I, I, I'd like to, I want you to be that person <clears throat> in your relational world, at your family gatherings, that people would stop and look to you and ask your opinion and lean into your words. I want you to be that person. And, and, and Paul is saying, here's, <clears throat> here's how you do it. Paul was the most influential writer practically of this entire era. So he said, listen, here's what I've learned. Don't do things out of selfishness, out of ambition for me. And in the Greek, this word, this selfish ambition, this idea carries the concept of competition. So, so he's basically saying, try to remove any element of competition from your relationships. When the person you're trying to have an amazing marriage with or <clears throat> trying to get to agree to live with you for the rest of their lives or the person that you want to raise into a healthy, happy, normal human, these people, he says, here's the thing, remove the elements of competition. Don't compete with him. Don't compete with her. Don't try to prove you're smarter. Don't try to make them know you're better. <clears throat> Don't try to put them in their place and under, to prove they're dumber. Don't underscore the fact that he didn't get the details quite right, that she didn't get the information like you thought it. Everybody's got their way. Everybody's got their perspective. But he's saying, when he's telling a story, don't interrupt him. Honey, honey, it's three, not four. You're exaggerating. Do you ever love being around those couples where it's like when they're talking and the one has to keep interrupting the other one and correcting them? It's so fun to be interrupted and brought down, right? Everybody loves to be made embarrassed in front of their friends. No, he's saying, listen, one of our natural things is we in our broken state feel like the only way to move myself up in other people's eyes is to step on somebody and push them down. Paul's saying, brand new perspective, <clears throat> learning from the one who made us, designed us, and put us in this world for relationship. He, he, he's teaching us this. Don't compete. No, honey. It wasn't three or four. Don't, you don't need to do that. <clears throat> it wasn't red. It was blue. Do nothing in a way that makes the person you love feel like they're coming in second to you. <clears throat> don't do things that make that person you love or want to, you want them to love you. Don't do things that make them feel less intelligent than you. Don't do things that make them feel like they're just not quite as together as you. That your choices, your habits, your patterns, your ways are somehow just a little better. Early on, um, <clears throat> this was a challenge for us in our relationship because my ways were better. And so it was a little challenging. It's, it's like we all come into the world thinking we kind of know, right? We kind of have it figured. We kind of do things the way we think they should be done. And, and the other person could probably learn something from us. So we're so helpful to give our input. Paul's saying, as you look at your relationship, if it's going to last and it's going to thrive and it's going to be that thing that just motivates you to get up in the morning and delights you to come home in the evening, remove that whole competition thing. 
This is so powerful. Then Paul goes on and he gives us what it looks like to do the opposite. And this is the next phrase and this, this is the point of the message here. This is what it means to truly love another person. Rather, in humility. <clears throat> in humility. Literally, in humility of mind. He's talking about an attitude. He's talking about a choice you have. He's talking about an approach that you make in a relationship. You can choose to have a decision you can make in your relationships. In humility, value others above yourselves. Can I just stop right there and tell you that Lori and I, um, we've been together a long time, okay? We were married just out of third grade, and so we've been at it the, a, a long time. No, literally, she, she was uh, seventh grade. I mean, she was 12 years old when we met. I was like 14, you know, big freshman. She was like seventh grader. <clears throat> and um, we were just kind of friends. She, we, we came to the same church and the same youth group, and uh, I called her my kid sister. I mean, she was fun. She was cute as could be, but she was a kid, all right? Well... So for the first few years we knew each other, I was dating different girls, and, and we got so close that I would come to her, I'm like, okay, I'm going to break up with her tonight, you know, be, be there for her because she's not going to be real happy. So, you know, and I literally, she was following along as a friend when I was dating different people, and <clears throat> she was kind of dating my brother, I mean, other people. It was short-lived. She dated him for a minute. But this is funny. It's funny stuff. I mean, life is really funny. Um, <clears throat> but as we did this, and, and she has been with me together. So sometime around, you know, our, our 15, 16-year-old age, we started like, like, I'm like, whoa, where did you come from? You know, no longer was she just a friend, but she was like my hot friend. She was like, I want to be around you more, friend. And, you know, you're taking a whole different look these days. And I'm like, let's hang out some more. And we literally were inseparable for those years. And it led right into, you know, five, six years of being together like as as dating kind of at a distance while I was in, in college and whatnot. And then we just tied the knot. But this is something I want you to know. This woman has all the dirt on me. She could destroy me. Literally, you would not come back next week if she told what she knows about me. And here's the thing. I have never once had to worry about her, com her competition with me for attention or whatever this is a woman who literally her she and my kids their knowledge of me literally is pretty amazing it's thorough they've seen me at my best seen me at my worst and she has never used that to make me feel less or to burn me in front of people i'm telling you this is what it's he's saying don't be in competition with one another if you want if you want a love that just lasts and it just looks so good not not only looks good feels good it's like the best approach it with a with a humble mind with with an attitude of humility rather in humility catch this value others and here's the trick above yourself yes he said that value others above yourselves think of it this way act as if your spouse your fiance, your friend, your child, your parent, whomever, is more important than you. I know this is crazy stuff. You're, you're going to need to know where to draw from this kind of resource to, because this is not a natural thing. We're going to talk about it in a minute, where we get this kind of ability, where we get this kind of insight. But Paul is saying, as followers of Jesus, as apprentices to a new life under the rule of God, 
you have the capacity, you have the ability, you have the choice to value others above yourself. <clears throat> Act like he, she, they are more important. Treat her as if she's more valuable. Treat him as if his ideas are more important. Now, now don't get me wrong. He's not saying that some humans are naturally more valuable than others. He's not saying pretend like that person is so brilliant when you know they're not. He's saying defer to one another. That means give somebody else the floor. Give somebody else the spotlight. Allow somebody else the praise, the celebration, the attention. Draw the spotlight from yourself to them and let them get that moment. Bring the goodness to them. He's, he's not saying that God loves your spouse more than you. That's not what it's about. He, he's saying if we want to take our relationship to the deepest level for humans, treat people like they are gold, like they're more important than even ourselves. Treat them better than you even treat yourself. Jesus kind of, wasn't that what he said when treat, do unto others? Do unto others as you wish they did unto you. Put them first. You ever been in a situation, maybe in the, where in that context, you realize somebody was more important than you? <clears throat> For an example, everybody been to a wedding. At a wedding, okay? So when you walked in, did anybody stop, start a new song, and have everybody stand and look at you? Probably not, unless it was your wedding. The chances are, you've, if you've been to a wedding, you understand the principle of honoring somebody. The, pr the principle is this, that when that, when that moment happens, <clears throat> that whole crowd stops whatever they're doing, they stand, they turn, give their attention, and the music changes, and everybody's like, ooh, ah. And this is, this is kind of the concept. When, this per when it's time for the reception, and you went to the reception, did anybody line up to give you a dollar to dance with you or anything like that? Did anybody come to you like, oh, I'm going to give you a present? This is not how it works because that moment, in that context, there was a person who had value, who was to be celebrated and honored. And Paul is saying, you want to have unbelievable relationships that just literally, not only do they turn your heart into a place of delight, they turn the whole world's attention because who lives like this? Who gets treated like this? Who gets honored like this? And folks, in our culture, honor is a lost art. Senior adults no longer are the pillars of society. They are now the ones that are like, oh, move aside. We've got a new Mac. We've got a new computer. We've got a new iPhone. we got all the wisdom we need right here in our little device. So, yeah, you can go ahead and, you know, go. We just don't have a sense of honoring one another. And for followers of Jesus, man, we are called to honor, to celebrate to delight and bring joy to somebody above ourselves. <clears throat> and in those contexts, man, I remember one moment when I realized I was not the most important person in the room, and it was, it was an interesting thing to see how I behaved. So I was young, and I was traveling through uh, Los Angeles one time, and I'd heard about Rodeo Drive. You know, it's down in this fancy part of Los Angeles where all the rich people go, and they shop, and, you know, you'll see celebrities. And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. So I go down there, and I park, and sure enough, I go to Rodeo Drive, and I'm getting in line for a coffee shop, and at the coffee, and as I'm sitting there, I'm reading a book by John Grisham. It's a novel, and <clears throat> just kind of entertaining myself. And as we're standing in line to get in, it's a very busy place. I happen to turn and look behind me. There was a guy standing there that looked somewhat familiar. No, he looked really familiar. And instantly, I recognized Rob Lowe right here next to me in line. 
I don't know if you even know who he is, but in my day, he was cool. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> now this is in the 80s or whatever, so he was big stuff. As I'm standing there, I'm like, uh, 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 you know, and you don't want to be stupid, but you don't want to be ignorant either. So I'm like, uh, how's it going? Hey, you're Rob Lowe, yeah. Like, want to sign my book? You know, I, you're, you want me to sign your book? Well, sure. I didn't have anything else. You know, I'm not going to sign my forehead, but here, yeah, just there's something to write on. You know, I just wanted to mark the moment that I was with somebody who was really famous, really rich and really special. And, and people were coming around out of nowhere to just get his attention to talk to him and honor him and serve him. And I'm like, man, this is, this is what it means when Paul draws our attention to the fact that in your life, in the love relationships you have, can you see what it would be like for a person to be treated like this? Could, could you imagine if somebody loved you like this? Like, you've got the floor. I, man, I, I want to hear what you have to say. I'd love to have, I mean, and for me, I, I get kind of goofy in those situations. I don't know how to respond, but in, in a relationship of love and trust and honor, man, it is the coolest thing to just give somebody else the space, give somebody else a spotlight, bring somebody else. And here's the thing about humility. In humility, he said, humility isn't acting less than you are. It's not beating yourself down. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm so horrible. I'm such a sinner or whatever. I'm a lousy husband. It's lifting somebody up. You literally get to be the person who drives that other person up into the air, into the spotlight, into the celebration. What would it be like to be with a person who treated you like royalty? What would it be like to be in a marriage, in a parenting-child relationship where your kid's just like, Mom, I love you. You know, you really, you really do tell me things that are so good. Dad, I just honor you. I really, I really do see you're such a good provider. You try so hard. What would it be like if we were able to do this for our world and our relationships? To lift them up. Paul said that's how you can love somebody. Not only can you, but you, if you do this, you will begin to set the world on fire with the kind of love that Jesus said, everybody's going to see you're my disciples when you love like this. Start with your marriage. Start with your home. Start with them. How you treat your spouse, how you treat your wife, how you treat your, the people in your environment. You literally, did you know that if you want to impact somebody's own self-worth and somebody's ability to see themselves differently, love them to the level you want them to be. Love them and treat them as if they were that person. I had a really interesting experience when I was in youth ministry um, many, many years ago. <clears throat> we were kind of new to ministry. And Jesus was doing deep work in my life as I was working with students and extremely challenging people at times. And as we were doing one of these things, it was, a, it was called, we called it a lock-in. So what we do is we get all the youth together and all the youth leaders, and we have the, this kind of game night, and it goes all, you know, half through the night. And so then we break up, and the girls go to their area, and the guys go to their area, and we kind of have downtime. We talk about our lives and what God's doing. So we're doing, a, we're doing this game time, and... Out of nowhere, we had this one young lady, and this is in Santa Barbara, and she was very wealthy. I mean, they had maids and people that served them, and they lived in a house that overlooked. They made more in a year probably than I will in a lifetime, and they were, she was very, very well provided for. And she developed an attitude that was a little bit prissy. And she was very fond of her opinion and herself, and she seemed to not be that impressed by anybody or anything else. And she was really a pain, to be honest. Well, she came to the youth group. She started getting involved, and she came to our lock-in. First, first encounter I really had with her, 
And during the game time, she just like, I'm bored. And she decides to leave. So I run over to the door and it's already night and it's late. <clears throat> and I said, you can't leave. Um, your parents signed the waiver. You're locked in with us. I mean, unless you call them and they pick you up, you cannot leave. I'll go where I want to go. You don't tell me. And I'm like, wait a minute. I do tell you because I am in charge and in this space, I'm God. Okay, not God, but I'm, I'm like his assigned guy. I'm the next thing in charge, all right? <clears throat> Under him, I'm, I'm literally responsible for you. You can't leave. And she just went off and told me, she just called me some horrible names, insulted my intelligence. And as I said, oh man, I just turned, I'm like, put somebody else in charge. We're standing at the door, the two glass doors. And I'm t I turned over to one of the leaders. I said, you, you take care of this. I turned to walk away. Next thing I know, I have a shoe buried in my backside. She kicked me. I mean, have you literally been kicked in the rear? Do you know what that is like? It's a little uncomfortable. It's kind of awkward. And it's a little embarrassing. And it caught me by such surprise that I'm like, if you were five years older and a male, oh. But I'm realizing, oh my gosh, she just kicked my rear. I mean, and we use that term, man, that workout kicked my butt. Oh, that person kicked. And it's a, it's a moment of like, I was humbled. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And here's what happened. In that moment, I had a decision to make. And oh, man, did I need Jesus and that deep well of love that is not of a natural kind. I needed another kind of love. And at that moment, I stepped aside, took a breath and said, okay, God, this is a moment. I have to decide. And somehow God gave me the strength to see this is a broken young lady in a very hurting situation, and you can love her to a new level. It's just like, wasn't those words, but it was that sense that this is why you are here. This is why. And so I determined from that moment that I was going to make her, I was going to make her my personal project to see her loved to a new level. So every time I saw her, I'm like, Cam, and I'd run over and I'd give her, oh, stop, get away from me, gross, uh. And she did that for a while. And I always did a nice little side hug. I wasn't going to be weird and aggressive, but I'm like, you are going to, I just know you wanted to see me and I want you want to give me a hug. So I give her a hug. And sure enough, after about two, three months of this, I noticed that after every service, after every sermon, that she'd just be in the little group that's like right up next to me. And she'd kind of get right up near me to kick me or poke me or bug me, waiting for the hug. And so I'd put an arm around, oh, you know, you want to get this hug? You've been waiting all night. Give me a hug. And I'd give her a hug. And for a while, it was just kind of awkward. And after a while, I just realized she was there every week, just waiting. Over the next course of a couple years, she became one of our staunch, you know, involved kids and one of, one of the young leaders in the group. And when we finally, you know, left that ministry, we have a scrapbook with her writing these things about how it changed her life and made her a new person. And I'm not saying this to glorify myself. I'm just saying it works. When we tune in to what God is doing in another person's life and we get past what we feel, what we're experiencing, the embarrassment, the awkwardness, the, the weirdness of putting myself below this person that does not deserve my love and attention, it is amazing what God can do with a love like that. What about your relationships? Can you say, man, I would love to see, I would love to treat my spouse, I would love to treat my husband, I'd love to treat my kids in a new way, but man, I'm going to need a deeper well. <clears throat> well, Paul says, listen, I've got something for that. I know that you don't have this. He goes on to say, you're not to look to your own interests, but also to the interests of each other. Interests of the others, basically, is the way it's translated. Look to the interests of the others. And let me just tell you, this is another little thing about great relationships. When you tune into this, it can transform your marriage or your relationship. 
When you literally learn to be a lover or a celebrator or a participant in things that your intended, your love, your friend, your child is into, you weave your way into their heart and into their life in a deeper way all over the place. I remember as um, Lori loves to go to the gym and, and I just am naturally fit and good looking. So I just, it's like hard for me to want to do that. And no, it's like, I hate going and getting all, I'm like, man, I work long time. You know, I don't, I, I get home and I just want to have dinner and relax and enjoy. I don't want to go to the gym, you know, get, you don't even get home till eight o'clock at night. And then it's like, then you just have a few minutes to kind of slam some food down. And I just didn't like going to the gym. But at the point in my life, I was like, Lori's like, no, it's not about your physique. It's about your health. I've had a lot of health issues. And she's like, you know, you really need to get your body in that place. She wants me to rest and she wants me to exercise and she wants me to take a day off. What a terrible thing to ask. Like, I'm like, okay, but I found that Lori's interested in certain things. She's interested in these things. And the more I develop an interest in them, it changes us. I hate shopping. I've discovered that there's something physiological about it. It makes me sick, physically sick. I mean, I like, I could go out and work 12, 14 hours chopping timber or whatever. And then, but you take me to the mall, I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. My back is hurting. You know, I need a, I got to have a cinnamon roll or something. I don't think I can make it 15 more minutes. I just, it's, I'm allergic to it. I just, I, unless it's Costco or a tool store, I'm like, I'm in, you know, sporting goods. I'm like, okay, that's great. Let's go there. Otherwise, it's not my thing, but I've learned that over time, um, Lori and I haven't had a lot of time lately because we've been on another project, but yesterday we got to spend the whole day together pretty much, and it was like, we're going shopping, shopping, yeah, you know, literally, we're having the blast, we're like, gotta go to Costco, yay, Costco, that other store that starts with a W, no, not that one, but we're gonna go, some, we're gonna have fun together, we're gonna, and to be honest, this was one of those days where I'm just like, I just love being with this person. And I've learned over time that we can celebrate similar things, even if they're not my favorite things, I can enjoy them because I'm with her. And maybe you could just weave yourself into whatever your kids are into. If they're into that game, just learn all about it. If they're into that sport, if they're into that situation, if they're into that whatever, whatever, get into that. And folks, please hear me on this. In your spouse's world, particularly in this relationship, if you are not the most informed and interested person in their work world, somebody else will fill that spot. And that is a very dangerous and painful situation that comes to bear there. I just am saying, if you don't, if you're not the one that's waiting for them at the end of the day, no matter, I know you're tired and you're exhausted, but hey babe, how was your day? Let's catch up. One of the keys to a great marriage is we, we always have the catch up. And it's like, after work, it's like we come together. And I don't care if it's after dinner, at the very last thing, whatever. But every day we just catch up. So what happened in that situation? What happened when you called her back? And how's that deal going? And, and so we are up to date on all the players in her life, all the situations in her life, in my life. And we share those experiences. I'm just telling you, again, I am not saying I'm perfect in any way. Don't ask these people. They could tell you. Again, I am not perfect. But I'm telling you, folks. This is my favorite part of my life. It is the most joyful part of my life, and I want you to experience it. You have to be that person in their world. <clears throat> Gotta move on. <clears throat> Verse five, in your relationship with one another, have this, here we go, this is where you get from the deep well. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
Okay, so you're going to draw on a source of information, of power, of love that is not your own. You're going you're gonna to literally put on the mind of Christ, Paul says in another passage. You're going to literally step into that space where, where Christ literally just kind of indwells you and helps you see things from his perspective. I want you to approach your relationship with the person you're in love with or want to be in love with or sharing life with like Jesus approached his relationship with you. Bury the old mindset that you saw in your culture, in the world, in your family, where like it's, it's like a 50-50 deal. If you will, I will kind of thing. <clears throat> Not going to work. If you're going to take your love le- your relationship to a new level, you've got to go 100%. How far did Jesus take it? He goes on. Have the mindset of Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. This is huge. <clears throat> Even though he was more important than anybody in the room. I mean, he, he was the maker of everybody in the room. But never once did he walk in and say, I'll take that seat and that stake. Everybody move aside. He didn't ever use his power or his divinity to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself a verb, nothing. He emptied himself of all his advantages, taking the very nature of a servant using all his potential gain for somebody else. Being made in human likeness, he humbled himself. How far did he take this? All the way to death. Even death on a cross. This is the thing. Jesus took it as far as it can be taken. And he did it for a couple reasons. He did it because there is no way that you'll have the ability, the capacity, or the constant wherewithal to draw from your own strength and live a love like this. He is the one who's given us the example, and he is the one who indwells followers and apprentices to him. He gives you the spirit of God to prompt you, to lead you, to encourage you, to show you where you're wrong. He uses the scriptures to do this. But folks, when you receive this kind of love, you can have the resource to give this kind of love. If on your own you try to create this, you can fake it for a while. But in the long run, you don't have the resources. Jesus said, I want you to follow my example. Humble yourself. Become obedient. Become surrendered to put yourself in a position where you'll do whatever it takes, even death, to see that person honored, celebrated, and reach their full potential. As, as the band comes, man, Christ's desire to have a relationship with you took precedence over his own rights, his rank, and what was rightfully his. Listen to this. To refuse to humble ourselves in service to others is to demand more for ourselves than Jesus demanded for himself. God didn't ask it. Why would I? He taught me there's a way to love that will change the world. There's nobody in the human history that changed this world more than Jesus and his followers. 2,000 years after they put him on the cross and they stomped hard, the, the boot of Rome came down on the, the heads of the Christ followers. They tried to root them out, destroy them, murder them, burn them at the stake, burn them on. They impaled them and put them on fire in the stadiums. They tried everything they possibly could. This fire could not go out because there's a love that drives it. There's like nothing you've ever seen. What would it be like? in a community like ours, if there was a center where people began, if there was a gathering of people who began to say, I will love to my last breath in a way that's different from the culture's love, that's a selfish me get, I want, it's about me. What if I could find 
within the strength of a life connected to Jesus, the kind of love that literally transforms the people around me? What if I could, what if I could have the strength of character to know that by humbling myself and putting somebody else first, I'm not diminishing who I am. It's, it's not like I'm taking less out of life. As a matter of fact, I'm giving more to it. If you want to be the person that everybody in the room comes to, you'd start treating people like this. If you want to be the person that at the end of your life, they all gather around to tell the stories, you'd be a person like this. If you want to be the person that in a marriage, at a, at a conference, your, their spouse just says, man, I have nothing to complain about. They love me like nothing. I, I just, they just, they love me in spite of all of it. You start loving like this. If you want your children, if you want your parents, if you want those people at work to see you in a different light, you humble yourself. Take the very nature of a servant and a couple things, practical tips. Here's to serve like Jesus. The very night he was betrayed, was going to go die. He put a serving towel around him. It's like he put on the white apron and he said, I'm here to serve. He washed his disciples' feet, the same ones who would walk out on him in a few hours, the same ones who would be disappearing when it came time for his crucifixion. He served them. He knew they were human, knew they didn't deserve it, and he loved them anyway. And after his death, they came to be the leaders of the movement, changed the world. Here's two, just a few things. This week, practice being more of a student than a teacher. In your relationship, be more of a student than a teacher. Here's another one. Listen more than you talk. You want to honor somebody? You want to humble yourself and bring somebody? Listen more than you talk. Three, give more than you take from each of the environments you're in. And fourth, serve like the people around you are of immeasurable worth. Make them the celebrity of your life. Honor them. Imagine how great this love would be, how our relationships, our families, our environments would be if we learn love like this. I want to pray for you as we close today. Would you bow your heads? Father, <clears throat> nobody, nobody in their right mind wants a crummy life. And we don't even realize that it's within our reach to have lives that are truly amazing relationally. That it's not circumstantial. That love like this is not something that was just going to happen to us accidentally. That there are ways in which we can apprentice to you, shepherd our hearts, Lord God, that we would be people who love like you. And I pray, Lord God, that everybody here who walks out these doors today would go right to work on becoming the person, the person, and have the character and the quality that would bring the best out in others in every relationship so we can see your kingdom come, your will be done, and we would thrive on the earth you gave us. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing one last song. Come back to it next week. I'll see you then. Let's worship together. Just a word And suddenly I'm not afraid Cause you speak And freedom reigns There is hope
as we continue our series.